Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Rob Childs here, and today's conversation is with Brad Jensen, who on Instagram is the Sober Bodybuilder, and this conversation is something that I've been wanting to get into for quite a while, but actually being able to schedule this with both of our very busy calendars, it was just kind of hard to put it together. We finally got it together and had a great conversation. It was more of a two-way conversation. But also, he gets, he told us about his story, which was a little intense at times. So, hope you're ready for this one. Go ahead and uh, grab some snacks or just kind of relax in your car. Do whatever you're doing and get ready for Brad Jensen. This is Rob Childs, and you're listening to A Fighter's Story. All right, guys, Rob here again, and I'm here today with Brad Jensen, a.k.a. the Sober Bodybuilder. Uh, you are the owner of Key Nutrition, the host of the Key Nutrition podcast, and the founder of the Next Level Experience. And my favorite, actually, is your character you play called Sheena. That's <laughs> I go through like your Instagram. I saw that one and I had to I had to remember that. I love that one. Um <laughs> But yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, for the my listeners that aren't aware of kind of who you are, where you're from, you mind kind of giving a little introduction as to kind of who you are and what you do? Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, yeah. So you pretty much summed it up. Uh, I uh, the Sheena character. It's funny. Um, people have been like, "Where's Sheena?" Like they're concerned about her. Like it's somebody, you know, because I'm. <laughs> videos uh lately yeah so they're like, is she okay i'm like you know this is a fictional it's me right but uh, <laughs> yeah i'm actually i got a, I got a couple more i gotta have the right ideas for her and <laughs> you know winging it with a wig on and it's weird but yeah um i live in uh salt lake city utah and um yeah i have a company called key nutrition and so we do uh all things nutrition and fitness coaching and i got a uh team of uh eight amazing coaches trying to count underneath uh underneath the brand and um yeah man uh new dad my kid is uh gonna be 17 months so that's a trip and uh my sobriety date is uh november 20th of 2012 and that's only important in this conversation because i think we'll probably get into more of that so yeah yeah definitely yeah i've uh i've kind of heard your story a little bit here and there throughout like listening to your podcasts and obviously you know your instagram is a sober bodybuilder so um yeah myself i actually my clean date is uh mark or may 15th 2018 so not quite as much time as you but you know it's not really a race at this point <laughs> um <laughs> excuse me i feel like everybody and their mother has this sinus infection thing going on right now yeah, I'm with it. yep yeah like but everybody's afraid to like go out and actually cough or talk or anything because of covid it is a really fucked up part of our time right now it uh, is. it's yeah it doesn't make sense to me but i mean yeah no it's crazy we can't just skip that's the problem we can't just skip these these germs that are passed naturally you know and so we're seeing this huge uptick yeah i just got done with it it sucked and people were like oh my god you should stay home i'm like nobody was saying that a year and a half ago like if you're just a little sick people were just like oh he's sick yeah yeah no like a year and a half ago i was actually at work coughing so bad that i went up to my boss and i was like hey do you think i should leave um because at the time i was working with the public and he was like i mean it's up to you it's your money you know and like a month later COVID hit and it just seems like now all of a sudden people care 
but I don't, but nobody wants to talk about actually getting healthy or like eating real food for once or, you know, doing anything to prevent getting sick. It's, you know, there's something, um, I don't care what, what side of the fence you sit on. Um, it is, um, it should be very alarming to anyone that our public health officials are not talking about what we can do to stay healthy. Yeah. Like even just like, Hey, you should supplement some vitamin D maybe um, just very simple things, but <laughs> nonetheless, like let's close down gyms. Um, so people get more obese. I, I, it's just, it's a little bit skewy, you know? And so making sure that you're being proactive about your own health is, is the most important thing to do. Cause they're certainly not going to tell us how to do that. Right. Yeah, no, it was it was like violently frustrating to drive by my gym and see that it was completely closed down. But yeah, I could go to a McDonald's drive through like the, it, it did not make sense to me. So many things just did not make sense to me. So it, and it, it's pointless to even like get frustrated and talk about it at this point. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> I do know one thing that's kind of helped with uh not getting as sick as I used to is kind of getting clean. Um, so I used to be addicted to drugs and alcohol pretty extensively. Uh, and that's kind of where I ran into you at, you know, your sober date was also, you know, November 20th in 2012. So that's obviously something we got in common. Um, with getting sober for me came the nutrition and, you know, bodybuilding and everything that kind of came back. I was pretty deep into it for a while until, the addiction really took a dive into the deep end. So if you wouldn't mind kind of telling your story a little bit, um, my guests have heard mine quite a few times, um, but just kind of tell us, you know, like what your life was like before, you know, you were in obvious addiction from, you know, your Instagram tag. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how far you want me to go back here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just high school, I guess, you know? Yeah. You know, I'll say this much. I always joke that I came out of the womb restless, irritable, and discontent. I think if I could have asked for a Xanax right out the right out the womb, I would have. I just didn't know how to do that. Um, and that feeling continued with me. You know, it was, uh, you know, um, I believe that uh, that battling drugs and alcohol and addiction was uh, was was going to be one of my battles here on earth. And, and from a young age, I just felt that way. And um, you know, was was overweight and uh, teased looking back, um, you know, I was just a chubby 12 year old, but I felt like because I hung out with kids who had rib cages, I thought they were abs, but they were just stick thin. Yeah. You know, um, that I felt really, really, uh, insecure and it was a really shitty place to be. I think that that 12, 13 year old age is just so tough for anyone. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, I found, um, you know, I, I found, I took my first drink at, uh, 13, and uh remembered i hated the way it tasted but i really liked the way it made me feel what was it um, do you remember jack daniels whiskey yep i remember Ooh. the taste of it was just awful and uh and then about 20 minutes later i was like this shit's pretty cool okay you gotta taste the bad to get to the good yeah. it um you know and uh and and that continued here and there i mean i was 13 14 it's not like you had a plethora of availability but we'd get into the the you know the neighbor the mom my friend's you know mom's you know liquor cabinet uh flash forward a couple of years i found health and fitness and um i was sick of kind of being that chubby kid that had to wear the black t-shirt to go to the pool because i was so insecure mm-hmm. i found it and i didn't know what i was doing but i picked up these magazines i started applying what they were saying to do and um 
And, you know, by the time I turned 16 um, and I had a car, I got a gym membership. And uh, that's the only reason I, I wanted to get a job is so I could pay for this gym membership. And then, of course, like protein powder, because that was going to make me jacked. Right. Um, and I actually got pretty I, I, I look back at pictures. I got to be a pretty jacked little uh, little high school kid. I mean, it was what I was about. I was I quit playing football and everything because football, the two a days would ruin all my gains. Like I was super into it carrying around tuna fish cans from my high school hallway, man. It was, uh, I was in it to win it. And, um, you know, but the, the lurking fitness was great. And, and it, it definitely veered me off of the path I was going down. And in the sense that I had learned somewhere along the way that drinking was really bad for building muscle. So I just essentially just quit at cold Turkey. I was just so into the gym that uh, I didn't want to risk losing any of my gains. And so I quit drinking all together, um, but I still felt, you know, if anyone's out there as an, you know, an, an addict, it just, it's hard to describe. I just, even though I had like gained some popularity, I definitely wasn't getting teased anymore. I was dating the hottest girl in school. Um, you know, I was the, probably the most jacked kid in our high school. I felt super insecure at my core and I felt just like there was this gaping hole inside of me still. Now fitness helped fill some of that. But, um, you know, it was about my junior years that someone handed me a pain pill. And I'll never forget, like, this is how naive I was and how quickly it turned. Was I looked at the kid and I said, oh, I'm not in any pain. Because he said, I got these pain pills. I was like, oh, I'm not in any pain. And he was like, nah, bro. He's like, they'll make you feel fucked up like you drank, but you'll have no hangover tomorrow. Like, they don't do it. Like, all the bodybuilders take them. They have to. You know, it's going to help you, not hurt yeah. you. It's like, dude, I'm down. I took them. And. I'll never forget. I'll never forget where I was. I was in the shitty house party. I remember the kitchen, these awful brown cabinets. There was all these red cups everywhere. I remember when that feeling hit me. I remember I just thought this is the feeling I want the rest of my life. Like I wanted to chase that shit. I had arrived. You know, I was complete. Those things were, um, and, and, and dude, that's what I kept chasing. Like super abnormal behavior um, right from the get. I, you know, it was only in retrospect looking back to observe just how insane it was. But the very next day, I hit that same kid up asking, hey, I need, we got to get more of those. And he said, oh, man, I can't. I took them from my mom's medicine cabinet, but she'll know. I was like, okay. So I arranged to go over to the kid's house. When he goes to the bathroom, I go get in the medicine cabinet myself. Like, that was day one. Right, right off the bat and stealing yeah just taking them i was like all right if he's gonna be a pussy i'll take him myself seems um, like you just signed then, up for the class and you're trying to graduate already yeah <laughs> man it pulled me in um it's funny when i hear people in recovery rooms talk about like you know they try i try to pretend like they hated opiates i mean listen i loved it that was the problem like you know um and I'm afraid I still love them, which is why I have a very healthy fear of ever getting back to that place where I think it would be a good idea to uh, to take any. So, um, you know that uh, that continued, and um, it got it got it got it got gnarly pretty quick. Although I could manage it fairly well, and so, um, but it pulled me in. It pulled me into the point where, by the time I was graduating high school, before I even graduated. I was driving down from Salt Lake City to Tijuana, Mexico, just to give your listeners some par parallel. Like, it's a 14-hour drive. It's not like San Diego, right? 
I mean, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going down there and I'm going to the pharmacies and I'm getting all the pharmaceutical, um, narcotics and steroids and you name it right. and loading up my door panels, uh, taking them off, loading them up, driving through the border, you know, with my uh, sombrero on and, and I got away with it. The first time I was nervous, then I got cocky. Then I thought I'm a man. And so I ended up doing it four times. And throughout that process, um, I joke that's when my entrepreneurship began. But I mean, I had a whole ledger of like, you know, Sam owes me this or that. or, And I was selling to all the high school kids. And, um, and so I never ran out. And I had this supply. And somebody ended up getting caught down there because people caught on to what I was doing. So they started emulating it. They got caught. They got stuck in a Mexican prison. I remember that was it for me. I was like, I'm too pretty to go to prison. Not going down there again. Boom. No way. So I just kind of set this fast rule. I'm not going down there again. And, uh, you know, high school was coming to an end. And so was my, uh, I had been doing them daily for now. I would take these trips for about six months. And I had heard people talk about withdrawals, but I never experienced them. And uh, it was shortly after high school that they all ran out. And I was like, you know what? It's cool. It's time to grow up, move on, go to college, do whatever. And um, when those withdrawals hit, I, I knew exactly what people had warned me about. I didn't, I, for some reason, thought I was going to be immune to them. I was sicker than I've ever been. The anxiety was a, was a scale 10. Um, I was out of my, I was so sick. And um you know, ended up uh, over at a friend's house with an older brother who did heroin. And it was kind of like the wrong place, wrong time type of thing. And it was, um, it was, he, he offered me some. And that was a line in the sand I'd drawn. Yeah, I come from like a middle, you know, like a, like a normal religious middle-class family. It wasn't like I, I grew up around any of this. And I remember I said no at first. And about two minutes later, I said, will it make me feel better? He said immediately. So, you know, as, as, uh, as an 18 year old kid, I shot up heroin for the first time and that, uh, you know, it grabbed me. And, uh, by, by 19, I ended up in my first treatment center and I went to that treatment center because my parents, uh, you know, made me cause, uh, they caught on that I was using heroin. I actually had to tell them they knew I was doing something, but I told them and, uh, they took me to this treatment center. And I mean, this place was nice. It was beautiful. And I remember thinking, this is just the worst ever and i went in there and i went in there thinking i'm not even legal age to drink i will i will get on board with the fact that i can't responsibly use heroin but i am not giving up drinking or just partying in general so that's uh the mindset i went in with and um so i got out the first day i got out we got drunk with my buddies to celebrate me graduating from rehab and uh Nothing bad happened. That was the crazy part. And I was like, oh, I can handle this. And it was only about a week later that I blacked out for the first time with alcohol. And I thought that was weird. That must have been a fluke. About a week later, when I was drunk, I decided to get some Coke. This story continues and can like the insanity that I kept doing the same shit over and over and over and expecting a different result was was literally insanity. And so I would, um, you know, I, I, I kept doing that over and over and over. And I'd get some clean time and I'd go back out. And it was um, always this thought that somehow, some way, I was going to do it different this time. Somehow, some way, I was going to control and enjoy my using. And um, it just never happened. You see, I could get sober. I got sober plenty of times. It was 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. You know, a lot of it would come from help of rehab or jail. 
um, even sometimes just on my own, you know, and I, but I could never stay sober. And so it was about that time that finally it hit me that drugs and alcohol weren't my problem. They were my solution. And that I was my problem. Cause if they were simply the problem, taking them away would have done the trick. Right. And so that, um, I mean, the, my story with drugs and alcohol is not unique, I believe in any way, shape or form. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter what my biggest problem, why I struggled to get sober was number one, I fully identify and admitting to myself that I was an alcoholic as well, that I couldn't safely put any mind altering substance in my body. That was number one. And number two is I look for the differences all the time. Um, I'd play the compare game or like, ah, like these guys, like they didn't have it as worse or they had it worse. Maybe I'm not that bad, or maybe I don't belong here because these guys all still had a job and a house when they got sober. What I know today to be true is it's not that that differentiates us. It's the feelings that tie us together, right? It's the feelings we felt of hopeless, lost, all of this shit. So yeah, we're, I'm just going to fast forward here. Yeah. 2000. Uh, I'm going to sum this up. From 2005 was my first rehab until my sobriety to 2012. It was that story off and on. Um, now, did you it, ever like have the plan of like getting sober so you could use again? And you were kind of like playing it out, you know, doing the experimental drinking type thing? Or were you just you know, like completely off the bandwagon of, you know, you can, you got it this time. No. Yeah. I would very, I would go to these treatment centers and think, you know, how did I, you know, where did I go wrong? And every time I feel like, and the heroin really fucks you up, dude. So, okay. I, and I had these very, okay. You know what? And even alcohol, it generally drives you back to, to the coke which drives you back to the heroin let's try just doing club drugs ecstasy dhb these are like serious thoughts i'm having in rehab not super normal right and during that time i got caught up in the system um and started getting charges and if you get caught up in the system you're not ready to get clean like you're gonna it's gonna be pretty shitty yeah because i was constantly on probation and constantly violating this probation by not staying clean um you know, and, and so I kept doing that game over and over and over. And, um, in sorry. 2009, what? Oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. I was when, now when you're going through these rehabs, are you going into the rooms and doing the, the 12 steps, you know, like the 90 and 90 are, are those all the things that you were doing? Or are you just doing, cause I know some rehabs are completely different from other ones, you know, to where it's like where I went, we were required to uh, contact somebody that was already in the program and go to one meeting a day, you know, and we would have to sign in, sign out every single day, that type of thing. And so, but I've also known some places to where you don't really leave the facility and you don't go out to meetings and, you know, they're not required type thing. You know, yeah, it was, it was more of the first, um, you know, and, and there were some where I never left the facility, you know, but they brought a, or, or 12 step, any 12 step meeting into the facility. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's how I got sober was through the 12 steps. And, and I tell people, um, you know, that's the only way I have, I've had that I know. Um, and that's not saying that's the only way. 
but I would go to these meetings, but there was one lacking part that they told me to, uh, to get a sponsor and work these things called the 12 steps. And, um, for whatever reason, I was so resistant to that idea. I would go to the meetings. I'd go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I'd get a fucking coffee commitment. Like I would do all these things and newcomer chicks and like, and I couldn't, I wouldn't ever fully buy in. I remember some guy being like, I'd keep coming back and, and then I'd relapse and come back again. And he just said, man, if you just actually did the work, these meetings would mean more. Um, but I was unwilling to. And I think there was a part of me that still did not want to dive deep into this and actually get sober. The reality was, I look back, I wanted the consequences of using the stop, but I genuinely actually didn't want to stop using drugs. It's the only conclusion I come to why I didn't ever actually give the steps and a sponsor like a full try and run. And so I did all these other things. And when, when I look, you know what I do for a profession with coaching people, it's like, they want to do like all oh, this other shit, but like the main meat and potatoes, they're kind of like, I don't really want to like do all that. And, uh, and then they're frustrated why they can't get the results they want. And that was my life, man. And so, but I'm so grateful that every time I went to a, a you know, another $15,000 rehab that my parents would pay for that. I basically found out the same thing that like, okay, now that you're done, AA is still free. So fucking go to it. And I was like, is there another thing? Cause this, uh, I don't really want to do it. But I'm so grateful because the seeds were planted in those meetings. And what happened was, is I'd go to rehab, went to six or seven rehabs. I've lost count. I had 17 bookings into the county jail. And that's back when they used to take you on everything. I mean, this is even pre-COVID. Our jails got so full that unless it was a felony, they weren't even arresting you. But back then, they'd arrest me on everything. They'd take me in. And um, I'd do some time. And over the course of from when I first started going to jail in 2006 till I got sober in 2012, in those six years, I think I did about 20 months locked up. You know, I'd do four here, or two there, or two here. And then my longest stretch was I did a year, which I got eight months for good behavior. So I go into jail all of 2011, basically, the better part of 2011. And I get out on, on January of 2012. Birthday, my actual birthday, my belly button birthday, right. not my sobriety birthday, is uh, January 31st. And I got out of jail January 27th. My parents were so fucking stoked that I was going to hopefully, because I, you see, I went to jail. I did the rehab program in there and I genuinely believed that I was going to stay sober. I was confusing clean time for sobriety, like yeah. recovery. Because I was clean in there and sure I was in their rehab program, but at night I was also, you know, um, you know, we were, I was getting in fights. We were scamming people. I was selling like other people's prescription meds. Like I was just doing the same damn behaviors. Yeah. I got out, but I, I genuinely was like, mom, this is my time. I'm done. They were so stoked for me to show up to my birthday. It had been five years since I had actually showed up to a birthday or showed up sober every year. I was loaded or didn't show up. So they're so excited to have this, uh, this party get out and uh the phenomenon of craving came back you know if you see if it was just about the drugs and alcohol eight months completely clean from all of it would have been it would have done the trick but that's what differentiates somebody who has a drug problem and who's a drug addict in my mind right and 
I got out and that craving came back and it was so intense. And I thought, okay, I'll call the dealer. There's no way these crackheads keep the same number. This son of a bitch had the same number. He picked up and, uh, you know, of course he missed me, right? And he wants me to come down and meet him. And the whole way I'm driving down there, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm looking because I knew I did exactly what they taught me in recovery. I played the tape through. You see, my trend was I would go on binges. So I would use really gnarly for anywhere from three to six months. Then something would step in and save me, generally my parents. But my parents stopped kind of enabling me uh, when they went to this rehab. I went to this rehab in 2009 and they got introduced to a program called Al-Anon, which um, really fucked up my using because they stopped enabling my behavior. But something <laughs> would step in, something, detox, jail, the cops were with great information. And I got out this time and uh, I'd completed probation. I wasn't on probation for the first time in six years. That's why I finally, they gave me the year and said, we're just done with you, dude. We're done taking you back to jail for three day, three months or two months. Or so I did the time I, I got off probation. I had nothing hanging over my head. And as I'm driving down, I played the tape through. That's what they tell you to do. And you play the tape through. I did. I was like, you're going to pick up, you're going to use. And if you don't overdose, because it's been so long, and you actually live, you're not going to stop until something stops you and you have nothing hanging over your head. Your parents are going to be done with you. And you don't have any probation, no, no cops to save you, which sounds like such a bizarre thing, but, and, um, and I did it anyway. And it was at that moment that I realized just how fucked I am. Like I need to find something better. And, uh, that year went. And so I needless said, did not show up to my birthday my parents did what they said they were going to do, which was they cut me off completely. They told me, tell I'm sober. I cannot come around. And, uh, and that year went and I didn't draw a sober breath from that day, January 27th until my sobriety date of November 20th, um, of that year. And I went through all the seasons, um, and I was homeless and I never slept on the streets cause I was extremely resourceful. I wouldn't stoop that low is what I would tell myself. Right. But I was staying at the shittiest motels or, house crack houses that I never ever even thought should be livable. Um, you know, trailer parks, you name it. I was just, I was a full blown junkie and I had succumbed that that was what my life was going to be. You see, I got, I got certified as a personal trainer when I was in, still in high school and I was actually the youngest person to ever get a job at this uh, gym called Bally total fitness is now has gone out of business. Um, but, uh, that was the youngest personal trainer they ever hired. I got certified when I was still in high school. And right when I graduated, that's where I went. So I had had, and then I had some other moments in, in a gold gym, managing the personal training department. Like there was some early success and then I would always fuck it up. And so, but fitness was the one thing that kind of kept me coming back to recovery because I would lose all my results. And there was a good time there where I still worked out. When you don't have a house, like you don't really have anywhere to kind of like go change up for the gym. I let everything go out the window. I lost 40 pounds. Um, by the time I got arrested, I was unrecognizable. Um, my diet consisted of a jumbo twist uh, donut from 7-Eleven and a Slurpee. And I would go there when they were about to throw the donuts out. So this guy would hook me up um, with a free one. Like I was, I was, I was a homeless junkie and, um, I did whatever I had to do to stay sober. And that year it got, it got worse and worse and worse. And, um, I decided it'd be a great idea to add some methane. This is a serious, serious conversation I have with myself. Like, you know, you're a little too doped out to go hustle, to uh, get money for your next fix. 
I think if you add a little meth in, it will keep you up and it's cheap. And this will be a good, this was, I was seriously planning, like, this is how I'm going to like to have more energy. It's not how it went. I got really strong out of meth in addition. And I ended up with some of the shittiest people that some of the darkest people, you know, oh, I'm man. sure, there people, but they had lost their soul, man. It's a very dark, evil drug. And, yeah. um, yeah, you I, know, I, yeah, I understand your your ideology behind that of, of the needing the energy and wanting the energy. But I've also I, I know quite a people who that was their drug of choice and hearing some of the stories that just goes on in that that whole world. It's like it's like watching a Joker movie play out in real life. Almost. It seems like like that is that is a very dark hole to go down, not to say that any other drug isn't. But, you know, to to kind of add that one in on top of heroin, I understand the idea behind it, but it's insanity. Like, I, yeah. just, you know, because I didn't know um, I dabbled a little here and there, but it was nothing I ever bought or had on me. And uh, and it opened up um, really Kemp Pandora's box in a way it left me, um, you know, in some psychosis state because the uh, the delusion that somehow I was going to just use a little bit of meth so I could stay up to get more heroin or opiates or whatever was insanity because I didn't know how to do any drug in moderation. That's why I couldn't safely use drugs. And so I ended up um, getting really tweaked out on that. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of grateful in a way, in a weird way, it brought me to my knees because I started losing my mind like three days. I mean, I just, if people understood, if you stay up for two days straight with no drugs, you're out of your mind. Like you're not making sense. Like things aren't, you're not forming sentences. Like if somebody just stayed up for two days straight, you get delirious. So add a very, very, very strong drug like meth on top of that. And it's just, that's how the psychosis comes. I mean, no sleep, just frying your brain with these toxic chemicals and I um, I saw some heinous out there that year. I saw I saw some darkness, and I saw you know people getting, you know, in a, like people getting kidnapped over a thirty dollar drug debt and tortured in front of me. Like there was some heinous shit that I had to work through in therapy. Um, you know, people that I was hanging out with um got murdered, and I knew who murdered them. Like it was all the shit that I'm like, how is this happening to me? And, um, you know, something happened towards the end of that year. I, um, it started to get dark again and cold and it's a lot easier to run the streets when it's summer. And after those two people were, um, were killed that I was hanging out with and I knew they were, I knew who murdered them. I didn't want any part of this. I didn't want to get in the middle of it. I didn't want to say I knew. I remember I said a prayer for the first time and it was like, Hey, if there is a God, or if you even give a shit about me, like, just please put something in my way to get sober. Like, this is like, it's groundhog's day every day. It's just getting worse and worse. And, um, and finally something did step in, you know? And so, um, I've told the story a bunch, but it's the only story I got. So <laughs> I, uh, my grandfather died in, um, in November. It was probably November. 14th I don't remember and uh my mother called me I spoke with her in months and she said uh your grandfather passed away and she said I really think you should show up to the funeral if you can I said I would really like to and she said please just do whatever you got to do um to be okay 
Right. And I knew what that man was. Don't be too dope sick and don't be too high. And I was like, oh, if mom, if I could only find that perfect mix, that would be <laughs> been looking for a while. Yeah. I'm like, if you know, I, and so of course I ran out that morning. Right. And so I knew I was going to withdraw, but I, I, I thought it was important. I just enough, just enough in there that said like, you need to show up for your grandpa. And I thought, okay, I can just fight these off till I get back. This is going to be gnarly, but I can just act better than I feel. I've withdrawn plenty of times. Um, just for that short amount of time. And uh, I couldn't, it got really violent pretty quick. I was throwing up all over myself and sweating and in my mom's car. And uh, she said, what do we got to do? She's crying. I just said, you got to go to the dealers. So I'll make my little uh, religious mother drive to the dealers, make her give me 20 bucks when we get there. And then um, hop back in her car. And we were already going to be so late to the funeral. We had to drive all the way up the highway by an hour and a half. So she said, just do whatever you got to do. She knew I used drugs. She knew I was a heroin addict. She knew I was, she'd never watched me. Nor do I think any mother should ever have to watch their kid do that. And I hopped in the backseat of her car and, um, you know, got my whole kid out, you know, with the, with the spoon and the lighter and, and the, the needle. And at this point I didn't have any good veins. So it was like a full-time job to shoot up. And, um, blood's everywhere and I'm, I'm finding this van i shoot it up and i'm looking in the rear view i look up at the rear view mirror and she's just staring back at me driving but staring at me just tears just flowing down her face she's not even wiping them off they're just I, i'll never forget that image and for that i'm grateful but she's just bawling and she doesn't say a word the whole time up there and i remember it was in that moment i call it getting well felt normal quote and um, i wasn't sick anymore and normally that could numb the pain a little but i remember thinking dude you got two options you can't keep doing this to your family you either need to kill yourself or you need to get sober and the first option sounded a lot more appealing and i had actually never been to that place where it was a serious like i need to kill myself and um i didn't know what i was going to do but i wasn't going to go on another day living like that and that night um you know, I ended up in a stolen car to, the, to this day. I don't, I don't know. I did not know it was stolen. And for me, that's important to know because whatever you believe in, there was a God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself in that moment. I hopped in this guy's car. I don't even remember his name, some drug friend. And, uh, you know, and he said, hey, will you drive? And I'd never seen this car before. And he wanted me to drive because it was stolen. And so um, we get pulled over um, pretty shortly after. And uh, I go to jail and I, I've never been so grateful to see those lights behind me, the red and blue lights lit up. And I remember just thinking, oh, this is it. And so um, cop came up and, and uh, said, this car stolen. I said, that's amazing. I didn't know that. And he was like, right. I'm like, I really didn't, but let's just go to jail. Let's get this over with. <laughs> so the guy took me to jail and um, journey began. <laughs> You know, he, he said, he said, I've never seen someone so excited to go to jail as he was taking me. And I said, dude, um, because I'm done. And he was like, yeah, I've heard that a lot from the back of a cop car. And I said, oh, trust me, I've said it a lot from the back of a cop car. But there was something that felt different that time. And and we call it a gifted desperation. There was something. That, and um, went to jail and I only did 30 days um, because the charges were dropped. And um, when I got out, it was December 20th. And uh, called my mother and she said, you cannot stay here. 
she said, but I'll take you to a meeting. So she dropped me off at a meeting and uh, that's where my journey began. And, uh, you know, haven't looked back since. And I'm super grateful for that because the withdrawals I suffered, I went through in jail were hellacious. It was unlike anything I experienced before. I mean, to the point where I said words like, I'm going to kill myself if you don't get me something. And so they put me up in the crazy unit with just one little pad and the you know, suicide watch unit all by myself and um, where I just laid in my own vomit. And it was just this, this thing kept playing in my head that this is the last time you have to do this if you want it to be. This is the last time. This is the last time. You know, when I look back and I think my grandpa spirit or something carried me through because I got through those withdrawals. And um, when I got out, I did something different. And it didn't make sense to me that I was like, yeah, drop me off at a meeting. And when that meeting ended, guess who was the lone fucking guy? Me and the guy who ran the meeting. He's locking up. And he said, do you need a ride? And I said, I sure do. And he said, where do you live? And I said, I don't have a house. I'll never forget that guy's face. He goes, oh, shit. He said, I'll let you stay with me. But I promise you, if you steal from me, I will break all of my principles of recovery and I will fuck you up. I said, fair enough. <laughs> so this guy let me stay on his couch. And he told me uh, the next day, he said, you got to go find a job. I said, where, man? I don't even, I don't have an ID. I'm a convicted felon. He goes, there's a, there's a restaurant hiring down the, down the street. So I walked my little ass there. I got a job waiting tables and, uh, and it was, it was humbling. And, and it, soon after that, I, I got a chance to get back into to the fitness industry about four months into sobriety. I got an opportunity that presented and, and the guy hired me even knowing my past and, uh, man, I've never looked back since like it's been, uh, it's been the greatest gift and I never want to forget any day just how fucking special it is that like I get to wake up and like I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And, and yet some days I like to still bitch more than I like to express gratitude. And, um, you know, you hang around recovery long enough, all your, all your, your dreams will become your problems. And uh, it's what we call luxury problems. Like the shit I got to deal with today there's a lot, you know, but it is, it is luxury problems compared to what we used to deal with. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've talked to people about all these first world problems that we have right now. Like I'm getting a uh, master's in dietetics and that in itself is the largest first world problem. I think I have, first of all, being sober enough to actually go to class, uh, pay attention and pass these tests. Um, but on top of that, I'm getting a degree in food when most of the world doesn't have access to the food that I'm prescribing to clients to eat, um, you know, or worry about like nutrition and don't eat too much. But, you know, you still got to get your calories in, you know, as like there's there's people that haven't eaten for days. <laughs> so there's there's definitely those problems. I know. I've talked to quite a few people that have been like in and out of the rooms, um, you know, NAAA, um, some Buddhist styled meetings and things like that. Did you kind of stick with one or, or did you bounce around and do you still frequent those meetings? Because I, th I um, think it was what today is. Yeah, I think it was like this weekend. You put something up on Instagram about, you know, like ask a question or, or something like that. Um, and I had asked, I actually asked you a question that you answered about, um, going into the rooms and whether or not like they've hindered your recovery or held you back. I, I believe is how I kind of worded it. Um, just cause from my experience, oh, yeah. And then you were like, well, maybe you should change your meetings, you know? And like, I just looked at it and I was like, 
yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's kind of hard to like argue that. Um, so yeah, you're definitely not wrong, but yeah. Is that something that you're still frequenting and yeah, you know, and to expand on that, you know, it only gives you like, you know, you story boxes on Instagram, but um, I mean, the most basic answer was no, I think I've helped, it's helped, you know, soar my progress. The more, the long answer to that is there's definitely been times where, you know, so I found myself in a fellowship called CA when I first got sober, which is cocaine anonymous, which was great. But let me tell you, those fuckers like party, like they're like, I mean, if I didn't make coffee, it's going to be like, was gonna you know off like kill that's in the meeting it was you know and and we were doing all these crazy activities and it was a lot of fun but um there was there was definitely i mean it's like you get a bunch of newly you know sober addicts together um you know guys and mix them with a bunch of girls and like stupid shit happens like there was definitely uh times where i mean long story short i just ended up having to kind of rebrand and switch um switch fellowships to to aa and that's that's this neither here nor there really other than what i found was they were holding back my progress it's like i would go with kind of these same immature dickheads to these meetings that like and i wasn't getting my spiritual fix because that's you know i go to meetings you know nowadays to give back to the newcomer uh you know because there was guys with time when i showed up um, but also I go to get my own spiritual cup fed. Like, you know, I don't need to hear 10 million more stories. And so there was times where certain meetings I would go to were holding me back. Like there were certain narratives that would go around meetings that still to this day bother me. This is kind of the first time I've shared, but the, I hate it. Like this kind of like, you know, that we're always just sick. You're just a sick alcoholic or a sick addict. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I my head can be kind of a sick place to live sometimes. But I'll tell you what, almost nine years later, I don't walk around just feeling like I'm the sick puppy, like sick mentally is like this twist. And like, there's these certain words that go around meetings. I'm like, yeah, maybe when I was six months sober, I was a little psycho and sick in the head. But today I actually think pretty rationally, like which is crazy to me, you know, and I do have these occasional thoughts. But yes, I think there's. And what I noticed is there were certain meetings I was going to that were holding me back. And so I had to kind of. uh you know, experiment and try some different ones. And, and ultimately, Rob, what I ended up doing was I started a men's meeting at my office um, that I still hold. That was four years ago because I was like, I know what I want out of a meeting. And I think other people do too. Like, and so we, um, so I started a, you know, a men's recovery meeting um, and um, I'm still active in meetings. I go to, I go to two a week um, and uh you know, sometimes three, but I've had to been very selective. There's times where there's certain meetings I was going to just because it was convenient, but it actually really wasn't helping my progress in life as an entrepreneur, as a dad, as, as a sober man, it, it just wasn't, you know? And so the answer to your question is it, there have been times where it's helped hold me back, but that's why I think it's so important to continue to find different, uh, different meetings. And even if you're not in recovery, like find different, outlets of people that that um as you change and grow who i surrounded myself with like my five best friends early on my first few years of sobriety only one of them i'm still super close with today because as i changed they didn't and that's okay but like i need people who now i, I gravitate towards people with time that 
doing it with their life, that have their own businesses, that have been through divorce like I just went through, and like get to pick brain on that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think with anything, whether it's church meetings, if you allow some of the dogma to pull you down, like it can hinder some progress. And, um, you know, so I did change up my my meetings and I did start my own kind of to find a, a fellowship of guys that are doing shit with their lives. That was important to me. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something big to be said. I, I, it's, I think it was a quote from Will Smith or, you know, something that he put up a few years ago about like, uh, you're as good as the people that you surround yourself with. So if you look around and you got like, you know, three millionaires, you're going to be the fourth, you know, if, you know, you're hanging around people that are stealing cars and breaking into houses, you're going to be, you know, in that same car going to do the robberies type thing. So Oh, excuse me the stupid cold yeah i completely understand having to actually start your own meeting i've thought about doing it um but i've also gotten cocky and feeling like i've i've gotten everything figured out and you know like the the few meetings that i was going to just didn't suit me anymore so i figured at this point you know like i don't really need them anymore since i've been still continuing to be sober after I've left them but it's also made me realize that there's a lot of things that I I learned while going to the meetings um, and doing the step work and actually putting pen to paper that didn't make sense until now you know until I actually needed them with like this recent cancer scare and you know like now it almost seems like I have these tools that I didn't even realize that I had so kind of using all of your past experience, um, you know, like through using and, and basically life and then through recovery, how is a lot of that helping you kind of, I guess, navigate the seas of like business now and having to, you know, like have conversations to where you can't be the guy you used to be. And you did go through a change and not only like what you do, but you know, who you are, who you surround yourself with, everything kind of has to change. And then also how do you, go into that being a new father you know i know that's and that's more of a question for me because i know my fiance is wanting to have a kid here uh coming up in like too soon maybe like a year or two and uh that scares the living shit out of me you know like i don't know what to do if i walk into my kid's room and he's like smoking a joint whether or not i want to yell at him for how shitty he rolled it or for for doing it in the first place <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like how are you kind of navigating your past life with your present life yeah man no it's a great question and you know um it's you know what's interesting is um is i got into you know running and owning my own business uh in 2017 february of 2017 is when i started key nutrition uh broke off from the place i was a, an employee at and um i didn't know jack shit about business so i'll tell you what here's what i knew about business i followed gary v gary vanderchuk and oh, i watched yeah. that was it that's not a fucking business plan just for the record <laughs> and i just went for it man it's, you know, that old part of me that was like, I'll figure it out. Like I figured out, like, all like I just went and uh, I got pretty frustrated, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing, but I pulled off the experience of like, somehow, like I got sober, like, and even going back to like, you know, I was hustling and grinding out there. I'm like, I just got to put the same kind of hustle and grind, but not, not illegally into starting this business. And I'm going to fail a lot, but it's going to be okay. So I've really, I really, you know, pulled off of that but what's been interesting is as something i've noticed and it was probably a couple of years ago was um 
you know, as I've tried to, because more importantly than how many fucking meetings you hit a week is really important to, to note. It's, it's, are you living, you know, the principles that we learn in recovery, honesty, you know, open-mindedness, willingness, service, um, you know, you know, basically taking your own inventory, not judging a bunch of other people. Am I living those on a daily basis? I got a buddy who hasn't been to meetings in a few years. That dude is one of the more spiritually fit dudes I know. He embodies the the living the 12 steps and it works for him. For me, I need to go back to be kind of reminded because um, I can, I kind of broke away from meetings and almost relapsed not too long ago in Mexico. I was in a pharmacy and it seemed like a great idea to buy some narcotics. And it was this whole kind of wrestle with this girl I'm dating. And she was like, what are you doing? It was this And by the grace of God, I didn't, I ended up giving them to her, but it was this whole power struggle. And I noticed um, that, you know, I do a little better when I'm, uh, when I'm plugged in. And so, um, but what's been really interesting is as uh you know, I tried to live these principles so much that I actually became a little bit of um, a doormat in business and my coaches started taking advantage of me. And um, I, I was trying to be too nice, but what I was being was not speaking my truth. And so then it kind of flipped to all of a sudden I started operating on an ego because all of a sudden I was like, I've had it. And so then I'm yelling at these guys and I can't go back to that place too much, but I also don't want to be a pushover. So it's trying to navigate like how to not be because out there in the streets, they called me pretty boy. That's not like a tough street name. Right. I wanted a new one, like fucking loco or crazy or like they called me. <laughs> I always like tried to like do my hair, even if I was homeless. And so it wasn't because I was so tough because by that point I had lost all my muscle. I was not intimidating, but I would, I would step up for myself. Like I would be like, no, no, like, and, and I would get in some fights, but I just, I, I knew I had to be on that, that guy. And when I see that guy coming out again, I have to like temper it, but also not be a pushover. And so I don't even know if I'm answering your question correctly, but it's been this shift where I realized like there's this place where I can operate from standing on my own two feet and living my truth, but not being a fucking dickhead, you know, because when I'm speaking my truth simply out of the fact that I don't want to cause confrontation, air quotes added, um, I end up resentful. When I'm resentful, it doesn't usually go well. Yeah, yeah. All right, and I got, so. I got one more question for you. Then I'll go ahead and get you out of here. Um, myself included, I'm kind of in this group of people that I want to contextualize. Um, I've I've been currently hanging out with like a bunch of people that are starting their own businesses. One of them is basically you know following your path. Um, myself with like working with fighters, and I got a buddy who's doing a massage therapy thing, and. So we all kind of have our own individual thing. Um, I'm the only drug addict, but I'm the one that seems to have like the most confidence, even though they don't realize that it's fake as shit. Cause I have the largest like version of imposter syndrome. I feel like, you know, is can be known. And that seems to be like a common thread throughout the addicts that I know is, is that imposter syndrome? Is that something you've ever kind of struggled with of, you know, going from that straight to like confidence or did you just always have, have the confidence of you could do it? You know, no, man. And, and I heard something in there too. That's really important to note that some, I don't talk about enough that I just heard you share. That's been really vital to my sobriety. Probably the last five, six years, especially is I have friends that are in recovery and we're cool. We're tight. And then I have a large group of friends who are not. 
Like it is important for me to have, I don't want to sit there and like, I want to hang out with people that also don't aren't drug addicts and alcoholics. Like, um, it's been really crucial for me that I diversify my friendship group and who I hang out with quite a bit. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would say I felt imposter syndrome, the majority of probably the good part of probably, and I still deal with it, but it's so much better up until probably the last two years. So the first seven years of my sobriety, as I got more success in material things, my always, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I was thinking if they only fucking knew who I really am, like 100%. I can't make money like this. Like they let me buy a house. Like this is like mind blowing to me. Like I was, I was, you know, and, and I felt like I didn't deserve the success. And, um, and it was a huge issue I was dealing with that. Like I, um, I joined this rather intense business group that uh, kind of took, um, you know, kind of broke down some of those walls because I knew that it was going to hold me back. But I would say, you know, I, I dealt with it a lot and I think we all still do, but I got to a place to live in my truth and realizing that like, I am worthy of all this. Like I do deserve this. And uh, that, you know, that whole fake it team, make it, they say in recovery, um, actually really kind of backfired on me because I was kind of faking who I was thinking I'll just make it one day. But uh, it took a lot of work for me to start to believe that I deserved it. And once I believed I deserved it, I could be that person. And also I've been really good the last year. I learned a lot from that group not about just staying in my lane, not trying to pretend like I know something more about this or that, or, you know, example, I was on this, uh, this, uh, this group call for, for this guy who does uh, like a mentorship group and asked me to come do a Q and a with his people. And so I did. And um, this lady asked me about postmenopausal hormones. The old Brad would have made some shit up that wasn't even correct because I had to like pretend like I knew more than I did because if these, I just said, you know what? Here's what I do know, blank, blank, blank. But honestly, not my area of expertise. I have resources for you of people who are way smarter on this than me. And when I can do that and I stay in my lane, the imposter syndrome doesn't kick up as much because I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not. And what I learned is too, is no matter how long I've been in this industry, how many clients I've seen, nobody expects me to know everything. So if I don't know something, I said, just not my area of expertise, not my lane. They're all like, oh, okay, cool. Do you have anybody that is or referrals, recommendations? And that was a beautiful kind of shift in, in where I'm at today in my life was realizing that I don't have to be anybody. I get to stay in my own fucking lane and do what I do really, really good. And so, um, but yeah, I still feel like that sometimes, the imposter syndrome and, and trying to uh, navigate that. But it's usually when I'm not living in truth with myself. It's usually when I'm trying to act like somebody I'm not. So, of course, I feel like an imposter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hopefully no, that, that helped. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It's actually, you said, you know, what you said about that's not my area of expertise. I'm going to have to start using that because I'm, I hate saying no. It's a, it's a word I'm not comfortable saying in, in almost any context for some odd reason. But if somebody's asking if I know something, and even if it's, you know, something I should have absolutely no idea about, it hurts to say no, because I want to be the smartest in the room, you know, the toughest, everything. Um, but then that'd be a boring ass room and pretty fucking ugly. So it's not a room I really want to be. You're going to get a master's in, and uh, you're going to be have a master's degree and uh, you're going to be that, a master dietitian, right? Yeah, yeah. So yep. the problem with that along that comes with that is now people are like, well, Rob should fucking know everything. There are some people who might think that, 
Oh, yeah. You let them know, like, oh, dude, like, I'm a dietitian, not a surgeon. Like, there are certain questions people have asked me along the way. And I'm like, in what God green earth do you think I should know that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I got a bunch of nutrition certifications. And, um, you know, it's not my uh, my area of expertise when it comes to certain things or, you know, and, and that's okay. Like, I've learned to just be really good at the things I am good at. And the rest of the stuff, build enough connections and with people who know a little more than me that I can refer them to. Yeah. yeah. I'm pumped. Congratulations on that. It's a big deal from like, you know, to get a, for anybody like, like me and you to get a master's degree in anything is, is amazing. And, uh, you know, there's, um, there's a lot to be said about that. I wish I would have gotten a little more further education instead of like just having to, you know, wing it for, for years and then get certifications and, um so that's exciting man congrats yeah no no thank you but unfortunately there's no uh what do we say in the rooms there's no fronts i said i still gotta earn that shit i'm close but you know i still got some time to go on it so but i do appreciate that um yeah. all right man i know you're you're a busy dude i gotta get you out of here uh if you'd like to take a couple minutes just kind of let everybody know where they can reach you at um kind of get a hold of you and where they can kind of digest some of your content and let my viewers know yeah. Yeah. So I hang out most active on Instagram at the sober bodybuilder give me a follow on there. Um, definitely where I'm the most active where you'll find clips from Sheena. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, our website for coaching is keynutrition.com. I, um, I myself have a waiting list right now, but I've got a couple, um, assistant coaches that I work directly over and oversee all their programs that are available. And then the rest of my coaches are amazing too. And, uh, and then I have a course called the Nestle Experience, which is actually just some of the key things I really liked about the 12 steps intermixed with my business partners who one is um, one of the smartest guys I know with the neuroscience of the brain and, and all of how, how that works. And then his wife does uh, energy work, which two years ago I would have thought was the most woo-woo fucking shit ever. But um, it has a place because we're all energetic beings. So it's a tight knit community. It's a, uh, it's a nine week, very intense, interactive and intimate, uh, experience that we take people through. And that, that is launching. I don't know when this will air, but, um, the last one of 2020 launches, uh, starts October 27th, but that's just my next level experience.com. But more than anything, if you can follow me or hit up my podcast, the key nutrition podcast, those two would mean the most to me. I don't need your money. I just want your attention. That's it. <laughs> yeah i mean at this point it almost seems like the attention is more with money everything's going towards how many followers and what's your interaction rate like at this point so yeah but uh all right man i really appreciate you coming on uh thanks again and uh everybody go check out brad at sober bodybuilder so thanks man thanks man appreciate you Hey guys, I want to go ahead and thank you for being a part of this podcast. We're listening to the end. Hopefully you've enjoyed yourself and you go ahead and follow Brad at Silver Bodybuilder. Also go ahead and follow me on Instagram at I am Rob Childs and the Instagram page for the podcast, which is A Fighter Story. Uh, more content coming out soon. I hope to put another one out every Monday and thanks a lot guys. I really appreciate it.